Welcome one, welcome all. We're back. It's Thursday. Everybody strap in. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> I mean, Dominic, your outfit over there, you look like you're either about to hop in a, a NASCAR. Or about to hop I got in the sponsor. These you are the sponsors. Sp- Honestly, when I saw you roll up, I'm like, Dominic looks like he's a NASCAR driver or something. <laughs> um, either that or an astronaut. Mm, we'll go NASCAR driver today. Yeah. So strap in, everybody. It's about to get bumpy. This is crazy. But there's a lot going on this week. I mean, we already kind of plugged uh, or said to you guys on the last recap how we had not only UFC, Bellator, but also PFL. I mean, it's a trifecta. Yeah. And the biggest now, PFL card so far, too. Yes, yes, yeah, completely. But now you got this a bomb <laughs> of some news dropped on us, some fight announcements potentially. The war room is being uncovered. What's going on? There's leaks left and right. Oh, man. The pipes have burst. Anybody know what's going on with Paulo Costa's Twitter? Brother, I don't know. <laughs> that man's posted Photoshop pictures of Dana White and Rose Namajunas. He's <laughs> into more than just the wine. That's all I'm saying. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know what I do know, though, Dominic, is that we have some things to plug here before we get started with today's episode. True. See, I did a nice little transition, just like our friends over at the Barely Critical Movie Review Podcast do every episode. That's right. We are back on Barely Critical's fantastic platform once again. We were there previously to review the all-time classic, Here Comes the Boom, starring Kevin James. The one and only. This time, no MMA. (laughs) For the movie, you know, MMA doesn't have doesn't have many. <laughs> um, Could have went boxing or you know blood sport. Jake yeah. Jean Claude, kickboxer, another Jean Claude classic. Yeah. Um, instead, Dominic, you know, he decided he wanted to to you know share an option, and he went with uh, Ready to Rumble, an all timer. So a movie uh, that's a professional wrestling movie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the you know I'll just leave it to, to the review. It's to it's really... a stacked episode. Let's yeah. just say that. Um, so we were on there. That episode is actually coming out this Friday at midnight. It will be dropping on their channel. There will be a link in the um, descriptions guess, descriptions yep. of this uh, and the betting show Friday to take you to their channel, show them some support. Once the episode drops, obviously we'll have it yep. directly to the video. So go over there, drop a like on the video, subscribe to them. Let them know that we sent you. That's right. We'd like to go back over there eventually. I mean, we're friends with them, so it, it, I'm sure we'll be back. And we'd like to bring those guys over here to do something in the future. So yep, yep. let us know what you think. Let us know how we gel as a, as a foursome, mm-hmm. as the four horsemen that ride into the apocalypse that is shitty movies. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but make sure to check that out. And now, before we jump right in, Dominic, here's your here's your turn to plug where people can find us on social media. Damn right. So, of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, we're happy you're here. Be sure to drop a like, subscribe to the channel, turn that notification bell on so you never miss an episode. If you're listening on audio platforms, give us a uh, rating over there, follow us over there. Of course, social media, if you can see me, it's above my head. If you can't see me, I'm going to tell you. You can find the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, 
at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram at Deasley 14. And you can find my beautiful co-host over there. That's right. I got the direction right this time <laughs> at NT Baker underscore all kinds of content. We're breaking down walls. We're building this Joey community. Let's roll. We start with the leak. The dun, leak. Dun, dun. Wow. Yeah, so Dana White made an appearance on a podcast called The Pivot. Um, this is a podcast starring or hosted by three former NFL players. Um, Ryan Clark from RC and DC fame is one of those three. And also Fred Taylor was a really good running back, and I apologize to the third gentleman. I, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but it's actually, you know, uh, based off the catalog I'm seeing, I respect it. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of surprised I hadn't heard of this podcast, but after seeing some of the guests they've had, I'm like, you know what? I might go listen to some stuff, but yeah. that's not why they're making headlines here. And it is, <laughs> um, it is for literally in the first 30 seconds of the episode with Dana White, this interview was conducted inside of the infamous war room. Yes. The room where the magic happens, as Dana says, the only room that matters. Huh. In the I see why. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they they we we were given a lot more uh, yes to to get our hands on than we expected. Um, just basically the camera just kind of flashing on a lot of different fight cards that were on the walls. And Dominic, what are we supposed to make of this information? I mean, we got we got main events, we got whole main cards being shown on here. Yeah. We have potential locations for future pay per views yeah. being flashed on the screen. Everybody's losing their mind. I mean, is, is Nate Diaz really fighting Hamza Chimaev? What's going on, Dom? Uh, brother, I think MMA Twitter exploded when this happened. I mean, Twitter is seemingly shut down because we're part of that community, and that's all <laughs> I saw on my whole feed. It was crazy. So many, not just like fights, huge fights, big names. I mean, you just said it. Nate Diaz versus Hamza Chimaev was listed on there for International Fight Week. Uh, Israel Adesanya, Jared Cannonier, Patty Pimblett's return at UFC London. Uh, I mean, you had Magomed Ankalaya versus Anthony Smith, Robbie Lawler, Brian Barbarena, Pedro Munoz, Sean O'Malley, also on International Fight Week. Don't this forget John Jones, Stipe Miocic for July yes. 30th, after we uh, just heard that September's September, that fight's going to happen. What's going on? Is the board not updated, Dana? I don't know. This is crazy. I I don't remember, even definitely during the podcast, but even before, as we're into this sport for years now, I've never seen anything like this where leaks – uh, we, you know, we obviously see fight announcements get announced all the time before the UFC does it officially, um, but nothing like this where it's behind the scenes, not supposed to be seen type of stuff uh, seemingly out there to the public. The pictures have been screenshotted. There's no going back now. It was crazy, man. I've never seen nothing like it. And uh, these fights, I mean, it's pretty crazy, especially, I mean, the big glaring one. Diaz, Hamza, Chmaev. I thought we were past this bridge, and here we are turning right back. I don't know. We, I, I thought we were past this. You know, I had made a, I had made peace with this fight a while ago. I had said at one, once upon a time, probably six months ago, I kind of came at people who were so against that fight. I was like, look, it's a pretty massive fight. Like, I, I'm yeah. just saying, like, I kind of get it, you know. And I'm not saying I at the time I was like I wouldn't be not excited for that fight, but once Hamza beat Gilbert Burns, that just changed everything. I mean, yeah. Now it feels like for Hamza, this is actually going backwards, in my opinion. Like, it does. Nate, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, is a huge star, and he's got some fights left in him if he shall choose to do that. But 
it's just he's not in any sort of you know um he's not a contender by any means yeah and and Hamzat clearly is and we were hearing Dana being all in on this ABC five round main event with him and Colby Covington and now potentially it's the co-main event on a really big card with him and Nate Diaz it's just kind of a weird one uh, yeah I, I I think now let's just make something clear here just because this stuff was leaked it was shown on the walls and everything Look, this is their war room. This doesn't mean yes. that these fights are official. It doesn't mean that both have signed on a dotted line. Some fights have been made official. I mean, some even after this were coming yeah. out as being official. But I think a lot of this is what they want to do, too. I mean, I don't think John Jones, Stipe Miocic is happening on July 30th. But right. that's where they want it to happen. And with this fight, I kind of get similar... Um, vibes but again i don't like that it's even on there like why yeah why is this fight why is this the fight that they want um when you have such glaring other options you know you got down the road to conor mcgregor fight with diaz you got the dustin poirier fight that we've all been talking about it just it's strange to me yeah but obviously i think it's a lot of politics but honestly it's so blatant and if, if this were to transpire and this fight were to get signed, I mean, how can you really support this fight at that point? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we tend to kind of overlook some some things. We admit that because we're fight fans, and in order to have that kind of love and enjoyment, sometimes you have to kind of overlook some shady shit. But yeah. with this, I mean, it'd be so glaring that they're kind of holding this man almost hostage from his contract being able to free himself that – it's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not for it, man. I mean, of course it's huge. Obviously, we get it. It's yeah. two of the biggest names in the sport, but dude, Hamzat's in title contention. I mean, Nate Diaz isn't there anymore. He's that huge name, but there's just so many other fights that people want to see. You can do separately these two and still have massive cards, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Dustin versus Nate would be huge. Hamzat versus Colby would also be huge. Hamzat for a title shot. I mean, you is could huge, even do you know? Hamzat versus Bilal Muhammad. It'd be a big deal. Yeah, I mean, Hamzat just... is that big now. Yeah. Yes, I think so. So this doesn't need to happen. I sure hope it doesn't happen. And honestly, like, just like when we talked about it, however many months ago, is Nate even gonna like? Is he even gonna consider this man? I mean, let's be real. I can't see him taking this fight. I don't know. I mean, just the way he's been talking to, and I know that some of it may be tongue in cheek, and it, maybe we shouldn't take it at face value what he puts on Twitter and whatnot. But it seems like a guy that just really wants to be out of this contract he's in with the UFC yeah. for whatever reason, whether it's to just go on and do be free be done. and be able to do whatever he wants to do. Is it to go box Jake Paul? I really don't think so. I mean, isn't it kind of funny how, like, we all keep assuming that, but, like, Jake Paul's literally never called Nate Diaz out. Yeah. There's probably a reason behind that, by the way. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, you say that, but, I mean, he calls out Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal, you know. True, true. But I get what you're saying. I just, you know, he, he, I mean, yes, at one time I'm sure he traded jabs on Twitter with Nate Diaz, but – Basically, my point is, I don't think this fight's going to end up happening, but the fact that it's still being considered is just like, it's just puzzling. It's, yeah, whatever, in the name of the business, like, this is what they're going to do, but it's just gross. It just, and I don't like this part of it, you know? I I want to be able to root for the, the UFC to get these fights done, to put the best of the best against the best of the best, and 
this almost feels like we're going to be watching like a, you know, like the gladiator pit back in ancient Rome or yeah. whatever, like bringing out like a very injured gladiator to take on this full healthy lion. And it's right. Like, right. What are we doing here? I mean, is this no really need. enjoyable at this point, you know? Yeah, and I, it's not like on Twitter during when all this leaked. Like, I didn't see people, oh, we're going to get it. This is the fight. Like, there's not that much interest. Like, of course, everyone's going to watch because of the Well, everybody's names. talking about it because they, they don't want this. Exactly. So it's like, come on, what are we doing? And, I mean, we'll talk about some of the other fights that were made official because I think they deserve a little bit of respect here. Yeah. UFC 276 is looking to be a very stacked card on July 2nd. Some of the fights added... Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley. This one's been Ooh. talked about for a while. Ooh. Truly Sean O'Malley's first top 10 test. Yep. Um, I think that's a great fight. It's I've been seeing a lot of people say that he's a favorable mat, a, a more favorable matchup for O'Malley as far as top 10 talent goes. Mm-hmm. And I see that a little bit. I mean, Pedro Munoz, he does take a lot of shots. But I also think of just how much he pressures. I think of his leg kicks and yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's, good. A very, it's a very fun fight. I mean, yeah. I, it's one that O'Malley should win if he is who the majority of people want him to be or think he is. But also I don't think it's one that he necessarily gets out of unscathed. I mean, you saw Cheeto Vera, you know, do what he did to him back in the day. So anything can happen also on this card. Oh, headlining the prelims, Dominic. I mean, come on, come on, come on. This is, this is my guy here. <laughs> This is violent. This is ruthless, you know. Whew. Robbie Lawler, he's back going up against Brian Barbarena, who we saw live against Matt Brown. Yeah, what a fight. Um, I mean, I think that's a great fight, right? I mean, I'm glad Brian Barbarena, he called for another contract, and he got it, and he goes yeah. up against Robbie Lawler. I think the matchmaking is fantastic on this one. Yeah, they, they don't go wrong with Brian Barbarena. Every fight he gets makes so much sense, and they're always so fan-friendly. Robbie, that I mean... He still looked good. I know it was Nick Diaz, right? But Robbie looked good. He had a long time off. This is going to be another long break. That's a fun scrap. Also, uh, it was harder to tell because a lot of people were just saying Takashi Sato's on this card because he's the one that's more clearly on there. But he's fighting Matt Brown is who it looks like. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Matt Brown being on this card, I'm glad he's getting another fight if he wants to keep going. Mm-hmm. I know we kind of th- looked at that Columbus fight between him and Barbarino is perhaps his last outing, but the guy had a lot of heart, man. He showed a lot in that And I fight. think he I mean, really wants to go out on top. Yeah, too, and I mean, Takashi Sato is not an easy fight. I mean, he's a younger, he's, yeah. he's taken less damage, he's going to be more athletic, more perhaps uh, explosive. It's just, it's not an easy fight, but I mean, I, Matt Brown is just such a legend, man. Yeah. I mean, also, UFC 277, July 30th. This is the one that they showed Stipe versus John Jones. Interesting note that Kamara Usman versus Leon Edwards not found. Of course. Um, I'm just wondering if perhaps that hand injury, that hand right. surgery on Kamara might hold him out till August or September or whatever it might be. Um, but a fight that did get confirmed for this card that was shown, Ankalaya versus Anthony Smith. Uh, yeah. This looks like it's going to be a title eliminator, wouldn't you think? I would say so. It makes plenty of sense. I don't even care that it's four versus five. It, it surely <laughs> feels like a normal contender fight. Man, what a story for Anthony Smith if he can get back. Because that was a guy that he made it there to John Jones, right, but then went on that skid. But now he looks so damn good again. He's still so well-rounded, still so young with age. Magomed, of course, a surging star. Not 
surging prospect that's just tearing through the competition. Yeah. I had to backtrack real quick on the wording there. I think that's a fun fight. And yes, it should be for the title eliminator. Yeah. I mean, crazy that Anthony Smith has climbed. He's crawled his way back. I mean, just mm. Dominic, remember we were about two years ago looking at a man that we were calling for to potentially retire coming off his loss to Glover to share. And he had even debated it too, you know? Well, and then you followed that up with the performance against Alexander Rakic, which was yep. one of our very first cards that we really got the deep dive. And, man, to see the turnaround for him in just crazy. a year and a half or two years, I mean, it's it's been pretty miraculous. And he's looking fantastic in these wins. So, yeah, yeah. all power to him. I guess before we move on, there is one fight that, wasn't in this league. We actually probably should have talked about this on Monday, but we kind of kind of slipped through the cracks. Five round headliner, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Calvin, or, uh, Austin, uh, Texas, Austin, Texas. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, Calvin Cater taking on Josh Emmett. Uh, mm. June eighteenth is the date for this one, and Dominic. <laughs> it feels it's kind of shocking to me that these two haven't fought before. Dude, like, I thought they, the same thing. <laughs> they feel very similar, like in how their 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 path to get here is taken. They've had some bumps along the way, but they're deadly. They have highlight reels on highlight reels in their performances, and both coming off very solid wins, especially for Calvin Cater, the fashion yes. he took out giga chikadze was mm, mm, mm. i mean what a bounce back from being the other he was the exactly. chikadze in the first main event of 2021 where max holloway really took it to him um i think this is just an awesome main event and i guess since josh emmett is booked with calvin cater makes me think that Max Holloway might be freed up for that title fight with Volkanovski, perhaps. Yeah, that's true. I guess you're right. With this being booked, it does kind of make a little bit of clarity. Mm-hmm. It's a division that is still kind of confusing because you don't know what's going to happen at the top. We're still supposed to be – I mean, we never got the official word, but Ortega Koreans – or not Koreans, uh, Ortega Yair is supposed to be Which, happening. I mean, that's <laughs> phenomenal as yeah. well. So it, part of me almost wanted to go out and say, this should be a title eliminator too, but – if Ortega Yair happens, you know what it's I mean? Tough. But, yeah. dude, Emmett's so underrated. He's on this win streak. Calvin Cater to bounce back, potentially win this one. They're right there, man. So that that's mm-hmm. a great five-round main event. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and hop right into UFC 274 with that being said. Goodness gracious. I mean. Dude, this, this I, fight. I am, on, dare I say, you know how much I've loved this run for Charles Oliveira. Hmm. I'm looking at these odds that you have here. I hadn't seen the most updated odds. I'm shocked that Oliveira's climbing as a favorite. I figured yep. that this fight would get closer and closer. Um, but Charles Oliveira comes in nearly as a 2-1 to favorite going up against the tied for number one contender in the division, Justin <laughs> Gaethje. <laughs> I, I love throwing that in there because I know Dom loves hearing that so much. But um, it, this is the fight to make for sure in the lightweight division right now. Charles Oliveira, you know, he's been surprising a lot of people along the way, but he has a legit title run going on right now. He beat Michael Chandler, kind of came back, fought through some adversity. Then he follows that up with a very good performance against Dustin Poirier. Once again, kind of fought back from some adversity. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, needless to say, win or lose here or anywhere on this title run, I mean, Charles Oliveira is putting on fun fights and – you know, he may not be answering all the critics because, sure, he's he he is having these 
moments of weakness, if you want to call it that, in these performances. But all in all, he's answering the durability questions. He's answering the lack of heart questions yep. that were there. Yep. And if if this guy really is kind of all that, and he's got the skill set that's constantly improving on his striking, his Muay Thai is incredible, and he's got some of the best jiu-jitsu in the whole UFC, he is an absolute menace right now. But he's going up. It's, it feels like an unstoppable force is about to hit an immovable object in Justin Gaethje in the other corner. So, Dominic, my question for you is how do you really evaluate this fight? Going into it, I know we look at this. We say it's 50-50, right? You know, to- toss a coin, flip a coin, you know, heads or tails, who's going to win, Oliveira Gaethje. But when you see this fight in your mind, when you're going to bed, when you're in the shower and you think about this fight, you, you have dreams about this fight, mm-hmm. how does it play out? Shoot, man, that's a tough-ass question. Also, you want to talk about fun fights with Charles Oliveira. Look no further than his opponent in Justin Gaethje. The guy's had nine yeah. UFC fights, ten bonuses. I mean, this guy's... Does that speak to the fight that we're dealing with here where I was talking up the fights of a guy that wasn't Justin Gaethje? <laughs> exactly. This fight, I'm just going to say it's guaranteed a bonus. I don't know if it's going to be the fight of the night. I don't know if someone's getting knocked out, submitted, but someone's getting a bonus in this fight. It's unbelievable. It's It's perfect... A combination of just two warriors. Justin Gaethje, what a run he's had in such a short amount of time. He's taken this division by storm. Oliveira, 10 straight wins, looking for number 11. He's chasing the Tony Ferguson run. He's chasing Habib. If he wins this fight, Noah, he's in the discussion for the greatest lightweight of all time. The resume he stacked up is unreal. Habib, he's closing in on you, and if he wins this, it's going to be very, very close. That's a very interesting discussion. That's not something I've heard brought up, but it's very fair. Yeah. To, to go in that direction. Now, I think a lot of the pushback may come from just his earlier of course. run being kind of a mixed bag. Of course. But, man, once he really stayed committed to being a lightweight, the guy really has just been... Unreal. He's been near perfect. I mean, he lost to Paul Felder, and since then, he's... What is he on? 10, 11 wins He's won 10 in a row. Yep. And, and I think all but one by finish because the yep. Tony Ferguson fight went to a decision. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that one, I mean, look at the arm bar he had on Tony in round one. I mean, just crazy stuff. When I look at this fight, Dominic, because I get, well, I, I didn't even give you a chance to answer, I guess, how, how this fight will go in your mind, right? So Yeah. Uh, no, well, I said it was going to be fun, but just like, oh, you know. Oh, okay, sorry. I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. No, let me let's, let's go through this together. Cause, yes, we have to. Cause, well, so, so let's let's look at the skills of both fighters here, you know, Justin Gaethje, obviously, if you look at his background, he's got the, the very credentialed wrestling. We ain't going to see any of that. Uh, This guy loves to stand and bang and he's gotten really damn good at doing it. And Mm -hmm. with each passing performance has become more defensively responsible to the point where he's just a hammer and not really being the nail anymore is Justin Gaethje. He's not trying early on, Again, he was incredible early on just in these really fun fights. But when he was fighting like Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, it felt like he was trying to force them or drag them into kind of a a barroom fight, a barroom brawl, um, really trying to drag them into a fight that they had no interest in being in. Now, it was a war. It was at times sloppy. But the reason those two guys won is because they kept their head on straight and kept held to their, their game plan as much as they could. Right. While Justin Gaethje just wanted to be a wild man. Yeah. He's cleaned that up. And maybe a lot of that should be a credit to his coach, um, Trevor Whitman. 
unreal. I mean, Whitman's the best in the business right now. He and is. He's, I mean, he's the coach of both the well, both the challenger here and the champion in the co-main events. So there's the reason why this guy is uh, doing what he does. But you looked at when Gaethje fought Tony Ferguson, just the evolution of his game, right? Tony Ferguson's a wild man. He's the boogeyman, right? This is a yep. guy that had been one twelve straight in the lightweight division. Justin Gaethje kind of went in there and beat the brakes off of him for five rounds and yeah, just yeah. really took it to him. His power is unmatched at, at lightweight. yes. Besides maybe Connor at one point in time, but I'm not even sure if Connor really holds up to that power anymore. Yeah. For Charles Oliveira, his skill set, I think, in terms of MMA, is more diverse. Weirdly enough, I feel like their their defensive responsibility is pretty even because Charles, he can take he'll take punches too. I mean Charles, you know he he's not exactly uh, showing a ton of head movement all the time. I mean he's getting he's getting cracked. You know, you and you don't want that Aurier. against Justin, man. You saw against Michael Chandler. Um, I do think that on one hand, Charles Oliveira has more weapons to win this fight. Not only do I think. In the stand-up, is he more diverse? He he does tend to throw uh, probably more. Uh, I think with the Muay Thai, I think it offers a little bit more flexibility yeah. in his striking. Yeah. Uh, while I think Gaethje's going to be throwing a lot of overhands, a lot of power punches. But then he also has the jiu-jitsu. He has that ability on the mat. If he can get it there or if it can end up there, if he gets Justin Gaethje's back, we saw Gaethje be submitted against Habib, and you know, despite Gaethje's wrestling background, I think that's a real possibility here. But Dominic is 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 Charles Oliveira really going to be able to get this fight to the ground? That's the I, question I can't answer in my mind. That's a phenomenal question, and is he is he even going to offensively look for it? I mean, he did against Dustin yeah. right in round two, yeah. and it worked great. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Justin Gaethje does have very good takedown defense. He did relatively well against Habib. Like you said, he got submitted with Habib on his back. So, and also, you know, you're when you were saying Charles Oliveira take shots, do you want to take him from Gaethje? Do you want to risk taking? Because you look at the round one with Oliveira and Dustin Poirier. That was a pretty brutal round for the champion. You know, he. I mean, he was giving him back. Don't get me wrong, right. but he was taking some he took big a lot of damage. shots. Lots just of like damage. he did against Michael Chandler. He nearly yeah. got finished in that first round. Yeah, very true. And I just think if you're wanting to play that game or willing to even indulge in that game with Gaethje, man, that's dangerous. We saw nasty mm-hmm. his uppercut was looking against Chandler. His leg kicks, we can never forget about the Justin Gaethje leg kicks. That can make uh, Charles mm-hmm. very vulnerable. I think this fight gets fought on the feet um, basically the whole time until someone inevitably falls. I think someone will go down and be finished, whether it be a KOTKO on Justin's side or potentially KOTKO or submission from Charles. Like you said, he has more pass to victory. I don't see an offensive takedown happening. I think we're going to mm. see stand-up, stand-and-bang. Gaethje's going to welcome it. We know this. And if he comes out fast, man, Charles doesn't start the greatest. Gaethje has potential there in that opening round. After that, this fight gets very, very interesting. I am a little bit surprised at these odds. But we've talked so much lately about how Oliveira has been overlooked, and he's finally getting that respect. He is, but it's coming against the hardest hitting it's, guy. That's what I was about. about to say. Like he's finally getting the respect, but also like this might be his toughest challenge in my mind to date. Yeah, you know, I thought he did have that path to victory against Dustin Poirier more clearly, and Michael Chandler. Yep, 
Here against Justin Gaethje, I think the problem for me is I kind of agree with you in that I don't really see the wrestling or the takedowns being much of a factor here. Yeah. So if that's the case, I got to ask myself this. If this fight is fought on the feet for the majority of time, whose punches are going to hurt who more? Clearly, in my mind, it's Gaethje is going to hurt Oliveira more. I mean, it can could you can Oliveira really finish Gaethje on the feet? I'm not so sure that he can. I mean, look at the bombs Gaethje ate from Michael Chandler, who actually might be the hardest hitter at 155. Yeah. But Oliveira, while having good power, that's not exactly his mo. That's but but then you look at what he did to Chandler. And Gaethje couldn't yeah, finish true. Chandler. It's like, and it's MMA math, and it's all that <laughs> yeah, stuff. I get this, it. This is but true. This it's is crazy, true. man. Like, uh, it's a it's a fantastic main event. Dare I say, could end up being one of the most intriguing main events on paper going into the fight. I mean, I look at the main events we've gotten this year, and Ganu versus Gan, of course, was going in just. I mean, that fight had so many storylines going. Yes. It's hard to top that fight, really, when you think about going in. You know, I think this fight tops Adesanya Whitaker too for me. It tops yeah. Masvidal Covington for me. Tops obviously Volkanovski Korean Zombie. I mean, I think this fight really, really, really is one of the biggest, best, biggest fights for hardcore fans that we're going to get this year. So, hopefully, everybody really appreciates what we're getting. I get it. Now's the time to be kind of criticizing UFC Dana White. There's a lot of that going on right now, and I get it. But I got to give credit where it's due. This is a fantastic main event. I mean, it's it's worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, this fight alone is worth the 70 bucks, let alone the rest of the card. It's and I, and it, man, there's going to be a big discussion on Monday. If Charles is able to pull this off, I mean, that what you brought up about perhaps being one of the, if not the best lightweight of all time. Oh, it's completely in discussion. I, I, I can't wait to talk about that because I really haven't even thought about it. I mean, when we put our top 30 together, remember when we did that because Ariel yeah. put like a top 30? I'm not even sure if I had Oliveira on my I, top 30 at the I time. I didn't either, yeah. So, and now look. <laughs> <laughs> that's how much things can change and how quickly they can, so... Yeah, look forward to that on Monday, I guess. But um, we'll see what happens. This fight, whew, I can't wait. Chef's kiss. Co-main event is a matchup that is familiar. A little bit, it's huh? It's a matchup that happened in 2014, but they run it back. This time, the champion is Rose Namajunas. Oh, sorry, I put that in the wrong spot. Keep talking, though. <laughs> <laughs> and she will be looking to avenge one of her only if is this her only loss in the ufc no no she lost on drive sorry right right uh one of her only losses in the ufc as she takes on the number two ranked carla esparza carla esparza has been waiting for this title fight for a long time i remember dana did an interview with they think bt sport to begin 2021 i think yep. it was yeah and you know, I think the at the time, Wei Li was the champion. And I remember when everybody wanted to see Rose fight Wei Li, and Dana mentioned on there, well, I, I heard Rose doesn't even want the title. <laughs> yeah. So then he mentioned giving it to Carla. And here we are a year later. Carla's finally getting her shot. She got passed over for the rematch with Rose and Wei Li the second time. Good fight. Probably should have been Carla in that spot. 
Um, I mean, Carla really put her stamp as far as who she is as a contender when she took out Yan Zhao Nan, finished her. Yeah. Uh, that was, to me, where she kind of secured her spot as the number one contender until someone beat her. So here she is. She has a dominant win over Rose Namunas. That was the inaugural women's strawweight title fight. Obviously, Carla Esparza had <laughs> lost it immediately to Joanna in a pretty brutal fashion. Yeah, She's had a very long, long road to get back here, Dominic. If she were to win this, it would be the longest gap between multiple UFC title reigns in the entire history of the company. So that's saying something. Yeah. For you, based off what you remember from the first fight, how different is this fight? But also, where are some parts that might be the same going in this time? Yeah, shout out to the UFC YouTube because they uploaded the first one. And I went mm. and I watched it. Um, fun fight, actually, for the first. Mm. I don't remember it being so exciting. And then obviously, Rose with hair. Rose with hair, of course. And it's just so crazy to me the leaps and bounds that we've seen Rose grow. She was 22 years old at that point man and she's 29 now turning 30 i think next month and what she's done in this those seven and a half going on eight years in december is quite astonishing so the growth i lean toward rose humongously um you look at the potential she already had i never realized this but they were comparing rose to like the next ronda rousey at this time it was crazy uh the hype that was behind her and obviously she went in recklessly Carla took advantage, finished her within the first minute of round three with a submission. And Rose said that was the only time she had ever just given up. She gave up. Carla drained her, and she tapped. So, um, you know, there, Rose's improved leaps and bounds. Carla, much of the same style, she's just polished it up, right? You know what Carla's going to do every fight. And if she gets you to the ground, you're in trouble. Not many people can get up. But if you can keep it on the feet, that's where the fight gets interesting. Uh, another thing, too, that's interesting for this fight is that Rose is so underrated. I feel like on the ground, she showed good wrestling against um, Zhang Wei Li when they fought in the rematch. But just in general, she's got five submission wins in her career. She's got three of them in the mm -hmm. UFC, uh, including like those over Paige Van Zandt, which isn't great, but obviously Michelle Watterson at the same time, her striking's top notch. The way that she moves is some of the slickest movement you'll see. I don't know, man. She's going to have a longer reach, a longer height. It's going to be hard for Carla to close the distance, I believe, on this newer version uh, of Rose Namajunas. This could be a revenge tour, I think, for the champion. Well, let me ask you. Let me play devil's advocate and just throw out a little stat for you. In Rose's last fight against Zhang Weili, the rematch, and you talked about how she looked good on the ground, she was taken down yep. five times in that fight. Yep. I think most would say Carla Esparza is a better wrestler than John Whaley. Your rebuttal to that or perhaps your thoughts on that as it pertains to this matchup? Yeah, in addition to that, of course, going against what I've just said, but her takedown defense, I believe, is only about 54%, so it's not incredible. Um, and I think she's like 7-1 and one when not being taken down, but 2-3 and three or something when taken down X amount of times in a fight. So it it's, it's very much plays a factor. If Carla can find a way to close that distance because Zhang Wei Li did it great. She trained with Henry Cejudo. She disguised the takedowns and she landed them, right? Um, of course, Rosa is a threat off the back, I believe, but Carla doesn't allow people space. She mauls people on the ground, man. Look at the Yan Zhao Nan fight, example number one. If she closes this distance, it changes the complete narrative of this fight. Even if, say it happens even in the first round, man, 
We're talking over the course of 25 minutes. I don't believe Carla's going to get tired. Rose can go the distance too. But with that being in Rose's head that, uh uh-oh, this could be a long night for me if it keeps happening, it's very much possible for the upset to happen. And if if she were to do that, Carla, come back and win this title all these years later, we've talked about the career resurgence. This is icing on the cake. It would be crazy. Well, I will say over the course of these 25 minutes, I have no doubt in my mind there will be at least one takedown attempt from Carla Esparza. Oh, yeah. There's going to be more than one. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I, I, will, I will say to kind of combat what I brought up to you before, I think that part of the success that Zhang Weili had in those takedowns was they weren't expected, I think. Yep, exactly. Here, Rose is you know. well aware of what Esparza is going to do. Now, I will also say in 2014, I feel like Rose was very aware of what Esparza was going to do and still couldn't stop her then. I think the biggest thing for me is if Esparza does get the takedown, sometimes her problem is when she gets these takedowns, she gets a little too comfortable just sitting in the guard, just yeah. kind of holding yeah. that top position. You saw when Rose got taken down by Wei Li, she was very active off her back. Yes. I mean, just peppering with punches, trying to force her way back up, trying to lock on some submissions from her back. I mean, she arguably won that fight by doing that. Because, That's true. You know... I, I don't remember how many rounds Whaley got her down, but five takedowns. I mean, I think she got her down probably more rounds than she didn't. Right. And Rose still got the win. So that's going to be a big key here is kind of the activity on the ground. Sure, you get a takedown. That's nice and all, but you got to be able to do something with it too. And that's always been the frustration with Carla, I think, is that she gets a little too comfortable with just getting the fight there but not actually looking for a way to pound it out to get a submission to do to advance position, anything like that. So if she's more active here, that could be a big problem for Rose, but also I think you're going to see Rose being very active off her back. So I don't see if this fight goes to the ground, I don't see it being there for that long. I don't see full rounds of top control. I just, I think uh, Rose is just too good to be on her back that long. Yeah, and call me crazy, but I believe we could see takedowns from Rose in this fight. We don't see people take down Carla Esparza, right? We don't see her on her back. She's never on her back because she's always on top. She's never one too threatened with submissions, even when she's on the top, on the bottom, whatever the case. Carla gets a lot of decisions. She doesn't get a ton of finishes. That's why the win against Yan Zhaonan was so impressive in that title-earning feel. Rose is good on the ground. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that she tries to surprise Carl and put her on her back just to pose the threat. I'm just saying. I, I would I would say if I were to see that in my head, the way I would expect it to come about is perhaps in a clinch, Rose getting kind of the, the body Quick lock trip. and just yep. tripping her. Um, I don't really see her shooting for any takedowns. I just don't – just doesn't seem like something. She doesn't really do it against, you know, again, people that – like Wei Li, who you might think she would do that against, but – um, it's an interesting thought for sure. And again, I think that uh, this is, you know, we, we talked a lot about like, the, I think these kind of fights show just all these different facets of MMA, right? We talked oh, yeah. about weird comparison here, but we talked about Surreal Gone, how he was this monstrous heavyweight, like one of the most advanced heavyweights of all time. And then he goes up against Francis Ngannou. And you're like, whoa, the takedown defense, the wrestling defense is kind of suspicious suspicious yeah even though his offensive wrestling looked very clean yeah looked very very ahead of 
really where he should have been at that point with it. Right. Um, with Carla, we know that her offensive wrestling is fantastic, but I'm not sure if she's really ever been put on her back. And exactly, um, if if Rose were to do that, and she is a very well-rounded fighter, how would that look? You know, I think that is an interesting question because I think she would be more active if she had top position than Carla would be. Oh yeah, I agree with that for sure. <clears throat> One more fight here, and then we'll have more at the end. But uh, it just doesn't stop with these fights, man. Michael Chandler, mm-hmm. nearly a 4-1 to favorite, takes on Tony Elkakui Ferguson. Tony looking to bounce back. Both fighters looking to bounce back. Both True. coming off losses. Uh, Michael Chandler, 1-2 and two so far in his UFC career. Perhaps the best 1-2 <laughs> yeah. that you can have. Yeah. Uh, with the, the sparking of Dan Hooker, he nearly wins the title and then has the fight of the year with Justin Gaethje. I mean, hard to have a better start outside of just winning the fight. <laughs> exactly. While Tony Ferguson's had a much tougher run of things, essentially since COVID hit in 2020, uh, Tony's 0-3. He's... Um, he's kind of hit that Tyron Woodley statistic where I, I believe he's lost like um, something like so many 11, straight rounds. I think it's like eleven rounds in a row or something yeah. like that. Um, he might have got a round from Gaethje. I don't know, but basically for Tony, the reason why he's such a big underdog here is, and I'm going to ask you this question, Dominic is. Does it feel like we're kind of this is like you know as MMA fans we're so reluctant to to acknowledge that a fighter has hit the end of the road right we so badly want to hold on to what's left or be optimistic and hope that this next fight will be different and I'm not saying that we have to not do that here but I want to ask you this question because I think you would put a lot of levity to the situation with Tony Ferguson. As you walk in here, is that optimism there that maybe we could see him go back to being the boogeyman to that guy that won the 12 fights in a row, or perhaps even just a new version of himself, but evolved and even better. Or is this really feel like in your opinion, the end of the road for him? That's a great question because you know, of course, three losses in a row, 10, 11, however many rounds he's lost. Uh, consecutively, but you then you then you break down that competition. Justin Gaethje's fighting for the title. Charles Oliveira is the champion, and then Benil Daryush. I mean, he's the most underrated fighter in this entire lightweight division. Let's just be real, especially within the top ten. So when you look at it that way, it's like you know maybe Tony's still got it. I, I'll, I'll put it this way: I'm not optimistic in him being a title challenger anymore. But I damn sure think he can be a tough opponent to get someone into that top three. You know what I'm saying? He can beat a guy like a Michael Chandler. I don't know if he's well, going to beat a guy. See, like, this oh, – sorry, not trying to good. cut you off. Um, this is my problem, though, is I kind of agree with where you're going, where, sure, I think Tony Ferguson could be very competitive in some very fun matchups. But he's being given Michael Chandler, who I still think is one of the top lightweights in the world. I agree. Yeah. So – to me, this does feel a little bit like the end of the road. Now, will it be? Who knows? Because, again, Tony hasn't been finished a single time in this run. I mean, the guy has been kind of – well, actually, I guess he got finished by Gaethje, but you know what I mean. He was standing. <laughs> standing. You know, you had those submission attempts by both 
yeah. Charles Oliveira and Benil Darius that didn't finish him. The guy has been kind of an Iron Man here. And yeah. Sure, it can't last forever. You know, they always say like eventually the bottom falls out. And, of course. You know what you have left isn't very pretty to watch, but. For Tony, I feel like there's a place for him if he wants to continue fighting. But it's just not here. That's why I'm not a huge fan of this matchup is because, yes, I get it. Michael Chandler's one and two in the UFC, but come on, people. I mean, look at the fights he's in. Look at the performances he's putting up in losing efforts. I mean, can you really compare the two right now? Yeah, I mean, Tony is getting outclassed by, yes, some of the best fighters in the world, but hence why I think he shouldn't be fighting number five. The best in the world. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, I agree with you about giving tough fights. I just don't think Michael Chandler's level is the level that he's giving tough fights to anymore. Yeah, and that betting line speaks to it. I mean, minus 380. He was minus 410 at the beginning of the week. It's just crazy that he was 4-1. to Tony's a Swiss Army Knife man, and uh, it's a hell of an interesting matchup. There's so many X's and O's in this one. Michael Chandler, so explosive. Like you said, he may be the hardest-hitting 155-er, but Tony's so damn durable. Uh, I think we're going to see wrestling from Chandler, legitimate wrestling for the first time in what will be four fights in the UFC. You know, he went forward against Gaethje. He had that, they had that crazy flip sequence in that fight. I think he's going to fight a lot smarter. I think he's going to look to take Tony down, kind of do something different. You know, do you, while he hits hard, do you want to really be in like a long distance striking with Tony? He's the longer guy, a longer reach, taller. Tony's got so many sharp elbows and slick jabs and kicks. He's so dynamic on the feet. Mm-hmm. I think we see a totally different version of Michael Chandler in this one that we haven't seen in his three fights in the UFC thus far. That's an interesting um, observation. I think Michael Chandler's even said as much as that mm-hmm. he felt like previously he was kind of just looking to put on these fun fights and now he wants to be more committed to winning you know to actually winning the fight and not being so worried about how he looks in the fight you know what i mean yeah yeah my question for you is something i don't think enough people are acknowledging and i get why because michael chandler is such a big favorite here but if tony ferguson does come out and win this fight i mean what do you do with michael chandler at that point if, if, if Tony Ferguson beats Michael Chandler, and obviously this could depend on how the fashion of, yeah. is it a finish, is it a decision, what, but is it going to be more of a Tony Ferguson win or more of a Michael Chandler loss? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, it, I don't know which way it would go. I mean, if, if Tony Ferguson knocks out Michael Chandler, that's one thing, but let's say it's like a great fight, just a hard fought decision. Tony Ferguson gets the win. I'm not so confident people are going to be showering Tony Ferguson with all this credit. I just, it just makes me think that those, what we hear now is kind of whispers of Michael Chandler perhaps being overrated or, uh, you know, whatever that he's kind of a, people's acting like he's a bum or something. I think they're only going to get louder. Yeah. Yeah. Which is ridiculous, but I see it. That's an awesome question. I've not seen if he goes one in three four fights. I mean, Eventually, you got to win, and that's what we said even before he lost to Gaethje. Is like yeah. eventually you got to win, even if you're being very competitive and losing effort. Like you're getting paid pretty good money, big money, to, yeah. yeah, big money at least in terms for the UFC. And if you're not winning, you're not holding up your end of the deal. How long before they feel like he's just not worth the investment anymore? 
and how long before Michael Chandler's even like, all right, I had my dream in the UFC and I didn't get what I wanted. You know, I mean, look what happened to, I'm, I'm not comparing the two. I am in a sense, but like Ben Askren undefeated came into the yeah. UFC, did not live up to anything that he thought he was. Um, and you know, for Michael Chandler, yes, it's, it would be three of the best guys in the world, but he didn't come to the UFC to lose three in a row and then go fight number 12. Like he's not in the UFC for that. He's in the UFC for fights like this four championship fights. Um, the guy came in and beat Dan Hooker and instantly got a title shot. You know, granted it was vacant, but still that says a lot in terms of what the UFC views of Chandler and what they want of him and why they brought him over after years and years of discussion around him in Bellator. So that's a fantastic narrative that I hadn't even thought about. And I definitely haven't seen other people talking about. I don't know. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't even see Chandler fight again if he were to lose this fight because he's just like, you know what? I can't get to that peak that I wanted. I had my run. I had my fun. You know, I could see it. Yeah, we'll see, I guess, once the fights happen. We'll talk about it again on Monday and see if that holds true. Yeah. Uh, more on this card for later, but we got to talk about the PFL and oh, Bellator. Man. There's other cards happening this weekend, people. I mean, yes. And this is probably, maybe, dare I say, the biggest PFL card to date. That it, uh, I mean, it's pretty yeah, loaded. I would say it's probably the biggest card in their history up to this point. I mean, yeah. Let's start with the main event. Uh, women's lightweight. This is their first uh, crack for the season. Kayla Harrison is back. She comes in at a minus <laughs> three thousand five hundred favorite, going on against Marina. Um, Monakina. Booyah. <laughs> Monakina. Beautiful. <laughs> we'll call her Marina. How about Marina? That, that works. Um, yeah. Dominic, these odds stand out to me, and I know it's pretty obvious. Kayla Harrison, you know, she's going to be a huge favorite. They yeah. stand out to me for one reason. You know, all that shit the Challenger <laughs> series got in. I did. For their, for their, for, you know, they basically had been telling people, or at least for one episode of their series, they said that these fights were live and they were taped. Yeah. And. Somehow that that word got around in the lead up to that card, to the point where the favorites had jumped up to minus two thousand, minus twenty five hundred, and everybody's like, "Okay, wait a minute, this is Weird. suspicious." Yeah. So what you're telling me is, people knew the winners of fights, and were less they still confident, weren't as high. <laughs> and they still weren't as high as Kayla Harrison here. Yeah. You you talk now. <laughs> I mean, Kayla came in and said, "Hey, Alexander Romanov, hold my beer. Minus thirty five hundred is a line I've never seen before." And to be quite frank, if she wins this fight, which she's expected to do, obviously based upon those numbers, that line could only go up <laughs> as the season mm-hmm. advances, which it shouldn't. It should go down. Um, she's undefeated. She's twelve and zero, ten via finish. She's a two time PFL champ, and. I think the expectation is that she's soon to be a three-time champ. That's the way it is for Kayla Harrison, the PFL. Um, so is there even a discussion? Because I know people are going to ask it, but, like, what is Marina going to present to Kayla? You know what I mean? Yeah, see, I, I, I can't even answer that question because I just don't even feel qualified to. She's 1-0 in the PFL, right? So Yeah. Sambo world champion, you know, yeah. for what it's I, worth. And, I, and, and again, this is no discredit to her. It's just how dominant Kayla Harrison is. Yeah. And this is exactly what I ran into with Amanda Nunes. <laughs> it haunts so you to the day. anything's possible. But 
the bigger storyline here for me is less about who Harrison's fighting on any given card. It could be anybody. But she's coming off of what was probably the biggest free agency we've seen in MMA. One of them. Yeah. And really, she didn't get what she wanted in the end, really. I mean, I think she's okay with being back with the PFL. I mean, I think she's okay. Because she got the bag. Yeah, you're talking about the competition side. (laughs) But I think she really wanted to challenge herself. Yeah. And go fight people like Chris Cyborg. How is this whole ordeal, is it still weighing on her at all? That's, that's yeah. to me, the question going through here. I, obviously, my gut reaction is to go, no, she's going to be a machine like she's been. Uh, she's, a, she's obviously a professional. She's going to go in there and, and do her business and move on. And basically could use this as motivation to put on even bigger performances this season yeah. to show – Look, I'm more Which is scary. More. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the reverse end of that is maybe this whole thing's weighed on her so much that she hasn't been able to focus on her training as much, maybe, or yeah. something like that. And you know, she is have a big focus on her family right now, and that's good. That's good. I don't want to act like that's somehow a negative towards her fighting career, but it just are all these factors that that ultimately are important to her and should be, you know, these things she want to take care of, you know, taking care of her family, making sure they're financially set up. Is that somehow going to take away from the motivation or not the motivation, but so much take away from the preparation for this fight coming in here, or maybe for the next fight when she, if she were to win, that's the question, I guess. And again, obviously the, the, the gut reaction is to be like, no, what you're overthinking it. She's going to win. I'm just saying, if she if something happens, if something absolutely nuts happens, don't say I didn't warn you. You know what I mean? Yeah, true. I mean, good point. I'll say for what it's worth, guys. I mean, because again, she's expected to win, obviously, <laughs> but there is the the competition is at least getting a little steeper because Julia Bud's on this card. Mm-hmm. That's at least something to look out for. That could be the That's biggest the biggest fight for her yes, this season. It is exactly. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, Larissa Pat. Checko is also on the card, but Kayla's already fought her twice. She steamrolls everyone else except for Kayla. So we'll see what happens, man. But it it, it should be Kayla smash all the way through mm-hmm. the end. We'll see how it starts out. Yeah, more from this card later because it is a pretty stacked card. But we got one more, and that's Bellator Paris. So this is the early card. This one's starting at, uh, I don't know what, Eastern time zone, I believe it's like noon on Friday that this card starts. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's an early one. It's 11 or noon or something like that. I, You guys look it up, you know. You'll find but it. We see an anticipated rematch for the heavyweight strap. Ryan Bader True. looks to defend once again against Chet Congo. Now, the first fight did not go um, in, the, in the fashion that anybody would want as yep. it ended in a no contest. Uh, due to some Webble shots, I believe. Something that Czech Congo is very famous for in the UFC. <laughs> uh, but actually, I think he was on the receiving end this time. So, Karma? I don't know. Uh, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong on that. I don't I think it was that. an eye poke. Oh. <laughs> well. But still, regardless. Not fun. Said, you could have said that like five seconds earlier. Sorry. I, I was waiting for the <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, here we are. We're running this fight back. Czech Congo. What is he? 45? 46. 46. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I saw the, the, the stat. Uh, if you add up him and Yoel Romero's age, it's 91. So, I mean, that's yeah. nutty. 
But uh, <laughs> Chet Congo, 46 years old. This is the only division this could happen in, but, you know, heavyweights. Yeah. Ryan Bader, a big favorite here. But Chet Congo has looked pretty good as of late. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, and, and again, Ryan Bader coming off a really hard-fought win against a guy that I think most thought could be the one to take the title from him. You know, coming off that pretty hard, again, hard-fought win. I don't want to call it a war because I don't mm. know if that's the right wording, but yeah, it was definitely a dogfight. There was a big test of strength, a lot of durability that came into play. Uh, stamina was a big factor in that one. You know, did that could that perhaps have taken enough out of Ryan Bader to check Congo at the spry age of 46 years old could become the oldest uh, champion in major MMA history, Don? Yeah, I mean, it's possible, right? This is one big son of a bitch, Czech Congo. He's always been bigger than everyone else. He's 6'4". He has a 10-inch reach advantage. Obviously, we didn't get to see much in that first one. It took place in September 2019, but I think it even it was in the first round when that eye poke mm-hmm. occurred. So before they even got out of the gates, you know, the fight's already over. So essentially, it's a wash. Yeah, very you know? much like Dean Barry. Yeah. Jackson. Yeah, no shit. Don't remind me about that fight. And then you, you look at Dean Barry got cut, by the way. I'm sorry. I just I read that today and I was like, man, what the fuck was that fight about? Then what was the point? Man, Anyways. fuck Dominic Cruz and Casey Kenny. That was the weirdest <laughs> fight in UFC history. Yeah, there you go. Anyways, so much has happened for both these guys. Obviously, Bader was in the light heavyweight Grand Prix. He's came back to heavyweight, defended his title. Chet Congo's 13 and 3 in Bellator. It's absolutely insane the run that he's been on. Um, so it's an interesting fight. Um, I don't even know like how this could play out, man. Bader I, Bader to me still, even though he's had so much success at heavyweight at Bellator, he looks like a light heavyweight when he's in there. Granted, he was big against Valentin Moldovsky, but still undersized. And Czech Congo is so humongous. I don't know. If he were to win this at 46 years old, you want to talk about storylines for, like, Carla Esparza's resurgence. Look at Czech Congo. The guy went through the ringer in the UFC. I've been in Bellator. Look, um, it'd be crazy. It's a theme for this entire weekend. Is Yeah, you, you got this. these. You got these aging veterans these old dogs yeah and they're hanging on for dear life man they're running they're running around the farm they're trying not to be taken behind the shed because you know what happens back there old yellow you got yeah here with i mean check congo man i this guy was fighting for the ufc up until i mean remember the 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 one the first round fight with him and pat barry i mean one of the craziest one round fights in history yeah even then, he was old. Yeah, it's and, crazy. And and for him to really just... Yes, I get it. Bellator's heavyweight division, not the most stacked. But he's still fighting for a major MMA title against Ryan Bader, who's a very good heavyweight, I would say. I would say he is a top 10 level in the world you know, heavyweight. Yeah, yeah. I just, again, I don't know how it's going to go. I expect Ryan Bader to look to mix it up quite a bit. Um, easier said than done. Maybe, I mean, the strength of Czech Congo could be a problem. The size, as you're mentioning. Uh, perhaps he lands a good couple shots to the nuts just for old time's sake. I mean, the guy the guy had a bit bad habit back in the day of kneeing people in the nuts. It was disgusting. But, uh, yeah. I Rant aside... <laughs> Uh, this is this is a f- interesting fight. It's in Paris too for Czech Congo. So that is true. He is from. You know, there. He's fought there once before. He was the 
headliner. He lost in that, but that was against Moldovsky, I believe, was it okay. not? I think so. No, oh, yeah, Moldovsky. No, he fought Tim Johnson, and I don't remember now. He's been. He there was. Before. He was the OG main event for the first Paris card yeah. for Bellator, um, which was also the first major MMA card to to ever be held in, yeah. in Paris. So, um, a lot of history there. Obviously, he's going to be a fan favorite. Could be interesting. I still lean pretty heavily to Ryan Bader just for obvious reasons, but mm-hmm. Bader's just a. He's always one of those guys you just never know. You know, light heavyweight didn't end great for him. He did look good against Moldovsky, but. You know, how much does he really have left? You it, know? And we had that discussion going into that title defense, and it was just a few months ago. I mean, it was yeah. in January, man, and he's 38 to his own right. Yeah. And like we've already said many times, and it's the narrative of this episode, but at some point, the gas tank's on E. You know what I well, mean? Well, and it's weird that I feel like I'm focusing on the 38-year-old Ryan Bader and maybe his longevity, what he has left. Meanwhile, I'm not even questioning <laughs> the 46-year-old that he's fighting. I just... True. Sorry, check Kong. I, I don't ask questions. I don't want to get kneed in the nuts. What can I say? I don't know. And on that note. Yeah, so let's get into the rest because we got a lot more fights to get into. Yeah, there's like we'll 20 more. We'll move back to the UFC. Shogun Hua versus Ovin St. Pru, the rematch that everyone was asking for. Here we are again. The old <laughs> veterans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, this is a fight where I feel like I know what we're going to get. I think it's going to be kind of sloppy. Uh, I yeah. think there's going to be a lot of heart shown on both sides. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea <laughs> who's going to win this fight. Because yeah. Ovin St. Pru is a guy that I've wanted to buy into and believe in. I remember, I know, remember the early days of the podcast, he knocked out Alonzo Minifield. And I said, man, get on the train. Get on the train. The title <laughs> yep. shot for Ovin St. Pru. Yep. And then he went then to he heavyweight. Went to heavyweight. <laughs> Look, I enjoyed the fight with uh, Big uh, Big oh, and, Ben, and only you, Noah. I promise. And I was the only person who enjoyed that fight. <laughs> his heavyweight, his time at heavyweight, was about as successful as a fart in church. <laughs> it was terrible yeah. run at heavyweight. And really, the big, you know, I say showing a lot of heart is what I expect from this fight. But the biggest reason why I lean Shogun Hua here is because to me, it almost feels like OSP just his heart ain't in it anymore. I've had those vibes. I have. He, he he. The last couple performances, it just feels like he's a bit just dull. Doing, just kind of doing this out of maybe just to get to get a chip paycheck. Yeah. Not really because he's looking to build a legacy or survive in advance or whatever it might be. Um, Shogun Hua, I have no doubt, is looking to go out on a win. He's one of the best to ever do it. If you go, you know. MMA as a whole, his UFC run's been very weird. I mean, former light heavyweight champion, but his record in the UFC is like 12 and 11 or something like that. I mean, he's, yeah. he's had a weird run, but all in all, an absolute legend. But he hasn't fought since the end of 2019 or what? Uh, 2020. November 2020, Paul Craig. Yeah, that's with Paul Craig where he tapped the strikes. I mean, he didn't look very good there. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just, you don't know, right? I don't know what kind of showgun we're getting here. I don't know what kind of OSP we're getting. I think it's going to be sloppy for as long as it lasts. I lean Shogun, though, simply on the heart. Yeah, that, that's an interesting take, man. And I don't doubt that. Like, that's the type of fight I expect from Shogun. But with OSP's power, regardless of what we've seen in the last two fights, that's 
I don't know. It's it's going to be a weird one. Like I could see him catching Hua coming in. I could see Hua taking down OSP and holding him there. I mean, I don't know what's going to I mean, happen. I feel like OSP's got the advantage in terms of explosiveness, in terms of his athleticism at this point, his strength, his power. I mean, he's huge. Speed. Yeah. But, again, the last couple of performances, he just doesn't seem to even throw. He doesn't even seem yeah. to use it. And Shogun, yeah. I have no doubt, will at least go out swinging. True. Following that, Cowboy Cerrone versus Joe Lozon. Another fight. Both guys coming in here, perhaps on their last leg. Perhaps <laughs> this is their last fight. Donald Cerrone, winless in his last seven fights. Joe Lozon has not fought since 2019. Blew my mind. Yeah, and I mean, this is a legend fight. It really is. Joe Lozon is. of that Jim Miller mm-hmm. elk of legend while... I mean, those two have had great fights, too. Both, of, I think they fought twice, and both of them are great. Yeah. Um, Donald Cerrone, obviously more well-known legend of the sport. I guess when you when you go in here, Dominic, I mean, what, what, what do you expect from this one? Because, again, you have two guys on pretty long layoffs, one much longer than the other, but... You know, Donald Cerrone, it's not been great the last couple of years, but he's also been going up against mostly elite competition until he took a step back and fought... Um, Alex Morano. Oh, I forgot about that one. I was thinking of the fight before that, the the draw. Oh, with Nico? Nico, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I forgot about the Alex Morano fight. He TKO'd him in the first round. Yeah, so the, okay, I forgot about that one. I'm glad you reminded me. So mm-hmm. Nico, Alex Morano, and now, to me, I feel like we're taking another step back with Joe Lozon, who, truthfully, Joe Lozon doesn't seem to be, like, he kind of seems to be pretty content with his career and just kind of, removed himself from the whole thing but got the call to fight cowboy cerrone and couldn't pass it up that's the way i'm looking at this thing yeah so to me like you look at cowboy cerrone on fight week you look at him in the interviews he's crying man i mean this guy's like he's saying that my his son's gonna get to watch him in front of a crowd and really be able to know what's going on who his dad is Yeah, yeah and he got really emotional talking about that is that a good sign or a bad sign for cowboy cerrone well, we saw when his son was first born, Cowboy was the most dangerous man in the UFC. Dad Cerrone <laughs> was undefeated for a while, man. So uh, this is a great fight, uh, matchmaking-wise. Like, I love it for both guys. They mm-hmm. they don't need to be fighting top 15 or prospects coming in, killers at 155. This is a great stylistic fight. I It's interesting you brought that up about, like, Joe. Because, again, I said this off recording. I felt like Joe Lozon fought, fought like, semi-recently. I just, like vividly remember his post-fight press conference or maybe i watched an interview that he did but he hasn't fought since october of 2019 so you're right i think he's just like you know what this is the perfect fight let me come back and fight cowboy (laughs) two guys that have never fought by the way don't know how they've managed to escape one another with the amount of fights they have you know donald cerrone looking has that motivation it's clear by the way if he wins he will then break the record and be the all-time leader and wins him jim miller and andre arlovsky are just going to keep fighting to the death until someone inevitably pulls away uh, Joe Lozon a chance to really kind of cement his legacy in a sense. I mean, the guy that doesn't have those win records, but he's been in phenomenal fights. He's fought great competition since, God, 2007, 2008, whenever he debuted in the UFC. It's going to be a fun, friendly fight. Fan-friendly fight is what I meant to say. 
Um, but I don't know what to expect. Like, Cerrone's a historically poor starter. You pointed out to me that Joe Lozon is a great first-round finisher. That mm-hmm. doesn't seem to add up well for Cerrone. But if he makes it past the first two minutes, then what happens? <laughs> I, it's it's a very, very fun fight with a lot of intangibles, I guess, even at their ages of 39 and 37. Yeah, Lozon's got a very underestimated or underrated legacy. I mean, I'm pretty sure this guy still has the most finishes in lightweight history. And, he has so many finishes. And also, look at the bonuses. I mean, Cerrone has the most bonuses, I believe, in UFC history. Yeah, 18. I think Charles Oliveira and Lozon are like two and three on that list. And you got Gaethje on this card, who's got ten <laughs> and nine fights. I mean, yeah, yeah. this fight... On paper, you look at the history of these two, it should be an absolute banger. Yeah. It's just hard to know because both guys have not exactly been fighting at the highest of levels as of late. So, And haven't been fighting at all as of late. I mean, just it's the reality, you know. It's true. It's true. Deep on these prelims is a one of the probably better fights on this card, I would say. And that's Brandon Royval going up against Matt Schnell in the flyweight division, Dominic. Mm-hmm. Raw Dog Roy Val. I mean, we're we're big fans of him on this podcast. But Matt Schnell, a very, very interesting stylistic matchup for Roy Val. Roy Val, kind of a wild man. Very elusive. Very, uh, he, he is very slick with his submissions, but also yes. has some pretty good hands at times, too. While, yeah. and I feel like he operates very well in chaotic environments and sprawls and whatnot. He's very quick to lock on a guillotine or whatever it might be i think matt schnell operates much better under the reverse i think he is a much more composed much more technical uh, technical very standard i mean i don't know how else to put it it's he he does not exactly get into wild brawls but he's very calculated in how he operates as a fighter and these two clashing, I mean, one of these styles is going to overtake. Yeah. Either Roy Val's going to drag Schnell into this war of just nutrition and absolute just chaotic, yeah. frenzied environment, or you're going to see a very composed and just pretty basic three-round encounter that I would assume Schnell would be getting the better of if that were to happen neutralizing Roy Val that is which side do you see perhaps being more likely to happen here yeah that's a good question I I think it's always fascinating when we talk about Matt Schnell poor guy hasn't been able to get a fight for his life by the way the last year but this is a guy that has eight submission wins so he's underrated on the ground but then when I look back at the fight you remember the fight with Tyson Nam? where those two just stood in the phone booth and just boxed back and forth for 15 straight minutes. I don't remember that one that much. It was in the early, it was during the Max Schnell episode, I believe, of the podcast back in the day. But uh, yeah, Yeah, it's just, it's interesting because can, someone is going to be forced to become uncomfortable. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of essentially how I break down your statement. And if anyone's going to have the better chances of that happening, I would lean Roy Val making Schnell uncomfortable. Um, just his pacing, his pressure. He doesn't get tired. If it's on the ground, he's so slick and the transitions are insane. I think this is going to be a pretty fun fight. If Matt Schnell can just make Brandon fight just a tad bit slower, we could see him pick some shots and put Brandon in trouble. Because Brandon can get in trouble, mm-hmm. and he does get hit when it's on the feet. And if it's on the ground, like I'm not counting Schnell out, 
Raw Dog's just so elusive. Well, Schnell is, is, correct me if I'm wrong, he's a pretty good wrestler. and Yeah. He's, but the problem is on the feet, he can get pretty chinny, if I remember right. He's been mm. knocked out a few times in his career. Yeah. Which, again, in the chaotic environment that Brandon Roy Bell likes to operate under, it's very easy to get caught. Yeah, true. Um, you saw Kaikara France get, run into a lot of trouble when he, he fought Roy Bell. Um, but you're right, Roy Bell is very known for his submissions and how good he is at locking those on. I think the key is for Schnell to slow down Roy Bell, to what you're saying. Yes, it's, yes going to be to kind of hold on to him. Don't let him go. <laughs> Get that top control. Um, you know, use your ground and pound, but don't let him do what he does best. Yeah, you can't. That's it for the UFC. We do got some more for the PFL as well as Bellator, but we'll start with the PFL. Ray Cooper to third. Uh-oh. Coming off his win from last season, going up against Carlos Leal. Now, fun fact about Leal he is a gentleman from the uh, aforementioned uh, Challenger series. However, he did not get the contract in the episode that he was on. He was later signed, and now here he is fighting the champion. Now, Carlos Leal, a very well-known fighter from LFA, I believe. Yeah. So um, this is a more competitive fight than I think people are going to give it credit for. But very tough to make your debut here for the PFL, and you're going up against Ray Cooper III. Yeah, I mean, Kayla Harrison, not the only two-time champion on this card. Ray Cooper III, 2019, 2021. This dude's run has been quite incredible. He's won. He's on a seven-fight unbeaten streak. He's been starging people. He was a huge underdog in the finals last year against Magomed, Magomed Karimov, who's also on this card on the prelims, and he knocked him out in the third round out cold. It was a nasty shot. Ray Cooper, so much experience, but only 29 years old. This dude is like a legit, like one of the best welterweights out there, I believe. He's just so good. He's coming into his all right now. It's a tough fight for Carlos to take, uh, but obviously if he can come out and pull off the upset, it'd be massive to start this regular season. But Ray Cooper, man, looking to make it three straight uh, championships, that'd be quite impressive too. And finally, two more very familiar names to the UFC fans, and that's Anthony Pettis and Rory McDonald. Back here for, again, this big card on ESPN2. Anthony Pettis will be taking on Miles Price. Rory McDonald taking on Brett Cooper. Both looking to bounce back from, I would say, disappointing outings last season. I mean, Anthony probably more so than Rory. Rory had kind of the screw job against T-Val. Oh, shit. That's true. Yeah. But all in all, just a disappointing season for both. They're back here. Dominic going up against relatively unknowns in Price and Cooper. Yeah. Which one of these two do you kind of have more faith in to get the bounce back in this season? <laughs> Dude, this might be crazy, but Miles Price, he's only 11-7. and seven. It's his PFL debut. But I worry about Anthony Pettis. I do. He came in last year and was at the 155-pound tournament, went 0-2. Immediately swapped right out of the regular season. Didn't even make the playoffs. Um, and, you know, Miles Price, while making the debut, now Anthony's moving up to 170. He's experimenting. Where should I be right now? He was kind of doing the same thing in the UFC. I just, I don't know. I feel like we may have seen the best days of Anthony Pettis. And now that's probably true for Rory as well. I still believe that at only 32, he still has a little bit more gas to make a run. He's a true welterweight. I worry about Anthony Pettis. Miles Price, be on the lookout. I think he can be an upset. I would go T- him. Tell over me if Brett. I'm wrong. It feels like... The, re- the reason why, okay, when you look at Rory and Anthony Pettis, and you can say maybe both of the best days are behind them. With Anthony, 
it feels more from the 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 toll of the damage the the physically he's just becoming more limited than he was in his prime yeah with rory yes i know he's been the fight <laughs> with robbie i mean he's been in some absolute wars i think it might be more mental yeah because remember he had a very tur he had a very um uh, what would you call it a crisis of faith mm-hmm. uh, he became much more religious and had a hard time dealing with the violence of what he was basically employed to do right he had that weird thing for he seems to have kind of gotten past that but is it too little too late to kind of salvage what's left of his career at this point and i mean i still look at him though as a clear favorite this season i really do yeah i know ray cooper the third is no easy task i believe that's who beat Rory in the playoffs last year. Didn't Rory make the playoffs and he lost to Ray Cooper? I, I believe so, yeah, because he went one and one in regular mm-hmm. season. Yeah, and with Anthony, you're right. It's just he did do this in the UFC. I mean, he fought Max Holloway for the featherweight title at 145. <laughs> yeah, and that's he was fighting true. at 170. And it just feels like he never truly got comfortable. He, he kept wanting to find reasons for why his performances were lacking why he wasn't getting wins and it was moving around in weight really Maybe i don't that's... think that's just not what it is you yeah, know? yeah 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 uh, but i guess we'll see i i look for both to get wins here if either one of these guys lose that's tough it's tough especially anthony if he goes 0 and 3 to start his pfl career that'd be uh that'd be uh curtains as they say yeah very much uh, last one here for bellator paris Co-main event, it was supposed to be Yoel Romero taking on Melvin Manhoff. Melvin's out. In steps Alex Polizzi, ranked light heavyweight. Polizzi um, is, rank, as I said, ranked in the top 10. Yoel Romero, 45 years old, coming off of a very disappointing showing in his debut against um, Phil Davis. Yes. So, Dominic, is Yoel Romero, is there anything left of the soldier of God or his age just finally caught up with someone who we thought it may never catch up with. I mean, man, just, you know, he's on, he's lost four in a row. His last win was February, 2018. Granted, he hasn't fought a lot, so he's only had five fights since then, but, uh, and he's, it's been against the best competition in the world, but outside of that Paulo Costa fight, what have we seen from Yoel Romero? What have we seen? Because it hasn't been much. And I just worry that at 45, you're, you're, inevitably going to stop getting better and i think that's true while he still looks like a soldier of god a statue made of marble i just don't know if the skills match up with these younger guys alex polizzi is a legitimate like you said he's a ranked light heavyweight man he's 10 and 1 4 and 1 in bellator he's won three straight like he's he's listed as an underdog dare i say he should be the favorite coming into this fight even though I think, he's taking this fight on short notice yes yeah, I, I don't know what's left to see from Yoel Romero. I know he is he even still explosive. Like I know he's a freak athlete. He hasn't shown anything, man, and that worries me against a young guy that's only thirty years old with a lot uh, of a higher ceiling at this point. To be quite frank, I, I think there's big upset potential for Polizzi. Yeah, so I needed to look up Alex Polizzi. I believe he had that absurd fight if i remember right this is the fight that i'm thinking of with jose augusto yeah this was on the borix burnell card yes he was on the winning side of that just i mean absolute war of a fight i mean i I, that means i believe he's the one that took the crazy knee to the face or i don't know 
that fight was absolutely insane. I wish I could recall more from it. But, I mean, you look at that guy in that fight, that's a guy who's ready for anything. Yeah. Yoel Romero, you're right. The biggest issue is just, it's not that he looks slower or that he looks less powerful. He just doesn't look like anything. He's not showing (laughs) us anything. Yes. This goes back to literally the way he left the UFC was losing a title fight to Adesanya where he did nothing. Yes. The last we've really seen of him looking like himself was against Paulo Costa, and that was a loss. Exactly. But at least it was a fight that you could hang your hat on and say was a great performance. Since then, I mean, again, tough matchups. Two guys in Adesanya and Phil Davis who, in much different ways, are known for neutralizing their opponents and... Maybe here against Polizzi, who is going to look to throw down a little bit, maybe Yoel Romero can finally kind of show it, you know? Yeah, he, well, he's going to have to, or else it's, I mean, you said curtain call for Anthony Pettis. Much the same here applies yeah. to Yoel Romero. Yeah, very true. Man, we had such high hopes for for when they signed him. Yeah, what a wacky 2021 signing and period. Look at Anthony Johnson, too. I mean, exactly. Remember, he won his debut, and then they fucking arrested the man after <laughs> the show for apparently yeah. imper- I don't even know. what. That's beyond our that's, – that's, that's, that's for another time. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah. But uh, thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. That was a deep one, man. I mean, I'm really happy with all that we went over there. Let us know your thoughts on all the fights for this weekend. Again, go make sure to check out in the description the link to the Barely Critical Movie Review Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to them, like their podcast. They're on all the audio platforms yep. and video. They are also sponsored by Anchor, so shout out to Anchor. Shout out. And, um, yeah, um, before we just head out, Dominic, as you know, we end our shows now with closing statements damn right does that mean i have to go first well you don't have to if you want to i feel like i always make you go first so Mm. if you want to pass the ball to me i'll I'll shoot you know i'll just be straight i don't think i got anything no big takeaways i'm just so excited i kind of said this on uh monday as well there's just so many fights it's going to be a fight hangover come sunday when we record i can tell you that much so i'm just super stoked man that's my closing statement i can't wait to watch these fights starting friday yeah, it's going to be tough. I'm going to really try to squeeze in all this action this weekend because not only do I have these three cards, I yeah. also got Canelo Alvarez versus Dimitri Bivol to watch. And also, I'm in a wedding this weekend. So, <laughs> yes. If you happen to be at the same wedding and you see me with my phone out during the during the actual on ceremony, stage, yeah. mind your business, all right? Because your boy's yeah. got some UFC prelims to watch. <laughs> exactly. But uh, that's it. I'm Noah Baker. That's Dominic Salee. We're Blue Average Joes, and we will see you guys on Monday.